James chapter 2, as we continue on our journey through James, as we consider what does a mature faith in Christ look like. The message this evening is several verses, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, entitled, with a sermon entitled, Faith Works. Faith Works. Let me ask you a couple questions before we get started. Is first of all, can you tell if I am alive? Yes, right? Now, how can you tell? I'm breathing. You can tell because this isn't as hard as the Pastor Dave quizzes that we get sometimes. Now I'm breathing, I'm standing up here, I'm talking to you. You can tell I am not dead. There's some evidence. Right? How about, now I can tell you are alive as well. You're breathing and sitting there and nodding and some of you are chuckling and some of you are just covering your eyes like, oh. But it's good. I can tell there's some evidence that you're alive. Um, what about animals? Can you tell if an animal is alive? Normally there's some cows across the street here. They, uh, my uh, son loves to look at them. It's very easy to tell if they're living. Uh, they walk around, they eat food, occasionally they moo. Uh, you know, they take some actions that show you that they are alive. What about your pets? Do you have a goldfish? How do you tell if your goldfish is alive? You know, swimming around, eats the food that you drop in its tank. You know, maybe it just is always hiding from you. It doesn't ever want to be seen. You can tell that it's alive. What about plants? You can tell a plant's alive, right? And I grew up on a farm. I could always tell, you know, when the crops were growing because they were what? What color are they? They're green when they're growing, and they get taller and taller and taller, and then they produce their, their fruit in its season, whatever it might be, if it's a corn or beans or whatever. You can tell that these things are alive. There's some evidence. And what are all of these evidences? They are actions. I, you can tell I'm alive from the actions I'm taking, right? I can tell you're alive from the actions you're taking. A plant produces fruit. An animal walks around. It takes those actions. Actions prove life. Now, some people claim to be Christians, claim to be spiritually alive, but there is no evidence. They make a claim, but the evidence doesn't look like something that is living or a faith that is alive. Other people, however, are alive spiritually who have accepted Christ as their Savior, do have spiritual life, and yet live as if they are spiritually dead. They would rather eat, sleep, and live as a spiritual corpse than they would a spiritually vibrant life. What James communicates to us today is about living faith, is about genuine faith, And it's that genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works. This is the main point of James's message to us in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. Genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works. Now, as good Baptists, we're a little hesitant to even say that. Maybe it sounds a little funny coming out of my mouth. What works? Why are works necessary? That's an excellent question. We're going to look at three 
reasons that James gives us that works are necessary to accompany genuine faith. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, I'll read through uh, these verses, 14 through 26, then we'll take some time and pray and ask the Lord to help us in our study, and then we'll look at those three reasons as to why works are necessary to accompany genuine faith in the life of a Christian. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, if it hath, if even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also." Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his wisdom in studying this passage this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the writings of James and how they've been such a blessing and an encouragement and a challenge to us as we've studied them so far. I pray that you would help us this evening as we study a, maybe a little more difficult of a passage, that you would give us understanding, that you would also open the eyes of our hearts spiritually to be challenged, to grow in ways that are, are meaningful and, and last throughout our lives. We ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word in our hearts, that we would be more like Jesus Christ because of it. I pray that you would help us to have a faith that is vibrant and displayed uh, through the works of righteousness that we do. Thank you for uh, the congregation, those who have gathered here to hear the word. I pray that we would bless each other as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works. And the first reason that works are necessary, we see in verse 14 through 17. Faith is only profitable with works. Remember, as we enter this study, remember with me that James is concerned that Christians learn how to live out their new faith. While James, the letter of James in our Bibles is not the first in the New Testament, when we open the Bible, the way it's organized, it was likely the first letter that was written that is in the New Testament. These are all first-generation, mostly Jewish Christians that James is writing to. And he wants them to know, if you have faith in Christ, what are the things that you need to do? If you have faith in Christ, what are the things you should avoid? He wants them to grow and have a mature faith. 
Well, we've seen already that mature faith takes many actions and avoids many others. It rejoices in trials, asks God for wisdom, endures temptations, produces righteous living, is a hearer of the word, is a doer of the word, controls its tongue, cares for the helpless, continues in purity, treats everyone without partiality, and fosters mercy toward others. And that's just in the first chapter and a half of the book of James. That's a lot of actions, a lot of works. What James has communicated so far is that faith works. Genuine faith is active. It produces the fruit of righteousness. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. In this new section, starting in verse 14, James addresses the relationship between faith and works. So he begins by asking a couple of rhetorical questions in verse 14. This is his introduction. He says, first of all, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and has not works? This word profit is the idea of benefit. What benefit is there? What use is there if a man says he has faith? Now the says, if a man say he has faith, that's the word for a claim. What if somebody claims to have faith, but then they also do not have works? What is the benefit of that kind of claim? Is his first question. And his second question is, can faith save him? Now, the King James doesn't quite translate that correctly. There's a, an actually a definite article in there. It, it says, can that faith save him? Can that faith, of course faith can save a person, but can that faith, can an empty faith, a faith that does not produce works, save a person? James' point is that that sort of claimed faith that has no works is no faith at all. Works are not just a bonus add-on to faith. They are an indispensable demonstration of genuine faith. That's the introduction. In verse 15 and 16, we see an illustration, much like he did at the beginning of chapter 2, when he's talking about favoritism, and he introduces a hypothetical scenario of a rich person and a poor person entering the assembly. He's doing the same type of thing here. So now the hypothetical situation is that a brother or sister, if a, an undefined potential brother or sister in Christ, be naked and destitute of daily food. Now the word naked here could be completely without clothes. It likely means more uh, just in rags, not wearing enough clothing, uh, referring to inadequately dressed for the conditions, just without the, the outer garments, just with undergarments. And then without food. Now this is not just, oh, they missed a meal. This is they are perpetually underfed. There's a continuous force here. If a brother or sister be naked, they're not properly clothed, and they're continuously without proper food, which would have been normal in first century Christianity, a marginalized sect of society. And then there's a response. And one of you say unto them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled. Ah, that sounds so spiritual. That sounds so nice. It sounds good, but it lacks any action. James then asks the question, he follows up with this, or then he says, you say these nice things, but you aren't giving them the things that they need. 
You aren't addressing the need. It's words without action. And he follows up with this question that he asked earlier. What does it profit? What's the benefit? There is none. There is no benefit. Nothing. It provides no benefit to the brother or sister in Christ. And it also, as one commentator says, it raises a question about the spiritual state of the one who fails to act to relieve the need. In verse 17, he brings this introduction to a conclusion. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. This is the moral of the story. Faith alone, here's, here's the key. He says this many times throughout this passage. Faith being alone or faith only, or faith alone. This is the kind of faith he's talking about, that claim to faith. Remember in verse 14, it says, if a man say he has faith, if a man claims to have faith, it doesn't make it so. It's like if I were to be eating a bowl of ice cream, which you know I I enjoy doing, but my wife had told me I needed to eat an apple, and she is coming up to see what I'm eating, and I take a apple and I pull the sticker off and I slap it on the bowl of ice cream and it says Fuji apple, I can say, hey, it's an apple. I claim that I am eating an apple. Now that doesn't make it so. You can claim anything, but if there's not, if it's not genuine, there's a problem. Here's faith being alone is that kind of faith. Taking the label faith, slapping it onto my life and saying, look, I have faith. James says if it's only that, if it's just a claim, then it is dead. As one writer says, for James then there is no such thing as a true and living faith which does not produce works. For the only true faith is a faith that is working through love. Faith without works is just as useless and dead as works without faith. Faith is only profitable when it is accompanied by works. Not because faith, not because salvation is earned by works, but because salvation by faith produces works. And as you claim faith and there are no works, that faith is useless. It has no benefit. And in the language of um, James here, it is dead. The word being necros, it is dead. Faith is profitable, and genuine faith will work in different areas of your life. Genuine faith works benefit in my relationships, whether that is forgiving someone who has wronged me, witnessing to an unsaved neighbor, helping those who need it, whether it's maybe giving them clothes or food as the illustration that James gave us, speaking kindly to others, treating them with equality. All of these things are things that God says I need to do. And as a person who is spiritually alive, I believe that by faith and I act on it. And there is benefit to my faith, not just for me, but for others. That kind of faith that is proven by works can save. Faith also works benefits in my decisions. I understand God says I need to come to church, so I do. I understand that God says I need to be giving to the ministry, so I do. I understand 
that it's important where I live, who I marry, what pleasures and pastimes I pursue. And these are all informed by my faith because faith works. And faith produces benefit when it is working. Is your faith that you claim to have a benefit? Does your faith work? Or is your faith like the person in verse 14 who merely claims to have faith? It's a claim. I I have faith. But James would say it's really dead and useless because it's not backed up. It is not producing works. Faith is only profitable with works. And genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works. The second reason it's important is because faith always produces works. Verse 18 and 19, we see this reason. Faith always produces works. There's an objection that James anticipates here. Now it's likely that this objection actually was going around, that maybe people were saying this. And so James knew about it, but he doesn't call anybody out here. It's just a a straw man, if you will, that he sets up with an objection. And the objection is this. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. This objection is that faith and works can be separate. That, you know, it's okay for you if you have faith and it's okay for me if I have works. Or vice versa, they don't need to be together. They can be separated. Now, this might be uh, from teaching of the spiritual gifts given at the time, of faith being a spiritual gift and works being a spiritual gift and saying, I can't have both. They can be separated in that way. But James attacks this philosophy, that faith and works can be separated. And what does he say? He reciprocates. The reciprocation we see in the second part of verse 18 Thou hast faith and I have works. James then responds with, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now the word show here could be, in some instances, means to make visible. Uh, So it would be like, if it was that, it would be, let me see your faith without your works. But this word can also be be translated as demonstrate or prove. That's what James uses it in chapter 3, verse 13. The same word comes up, and he uses it in that way as demonstrate or prove. And I believe that's the way it's used here as well. So he would be saying in verse 18, Prove to me that you have faith without works. Prove to me that you can show me your faith, prove to me your faith is genuine by not showing me any works. And he's saying it can't be done. Instead, I will show you, I will prove, I will demonstrate my faith by my works. It is my works that demonstrate my faith. Because faith produces works. So it goes one way. I have genuine faith. It produces works. Then my works then, looking backwards, prove that my faith is genuine. The reality of a person's faith can only be proven by the actions they take. And then in verse 19, James gives a kind of sort of theological evaluation 
a little angelology here, a little uh, soteriology. It says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now here, James is taking his argument in this little section, it's reaching its crescendo, where James famously compares the faith of a person to the faith of a demon. It says, you believe there is one God. Now this is the, a reference, I believe, to what we call in the Hebrew, the Shema. Now we learned last week, maybe here's a Bible quiz, Last week, Pastor Dave instructed us about the word Shema, and it means oh, to, to hear or to listen. Now, if you're familiar, there's a very uh, important verse in Deuteronomy. Um, I didn't write down the verse, so I don't remember off the top of my head. But it, it goes this way. Maybe you'll probably recognize it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. That it was often known as the Shema, because that first word here, Shema, and it's foundational truth. That would be like us standing up in the service this morning and saying, Jesus Christ is God. It's so foundational to our faith. It was very foundational to the Jews, and these are all Jewish Christians. It's a very basic, foundational, most imp- one of the most important foundations of their faith. It says, you believe this. Thou doest well. Now, is he being sarcastic? Maybe. But it's not. It could just be good. I'm glad you believe that. But here's the thing. The devils also believe that. The devils, the demons. Who are the demons? Demons are fallen angels. They were in heaven. God created them as angels. And they were in the presence of God, rejoicing at creation. And when Satan fell, they went with him. They know who God is. They have been with God. But does that change their state? All the knowledge they have about God doesn't change their faith. It is a head knowledge. The problem is not the statement. The problem is not believing that there is one God. The problem is that the knowledge does not exceed head knowledge. The problem is that the the knowledge, the wisdom here, doesn't spill into the life in the heart of the person. Demons are fully aware of who God is and what he is like. However, they still tremble, is the word. This is their response to their knowledge of God. Not faith, but fear. The word is to shudder. It's a, an intense inward shaking, specifically with fear of judgment. They know their, the result. They know what is coming to them. Knowing truth about God does not save them, and knowing truth about God does not save a person. Saying, I know that God exists, and claiming that as my faith is dead. That's not saving faith. That does not save demons, and it will not save you. Faith always produces works. Show me thy faith without thy works. You can't. I will show you my faith by my works. Is your claim to faith paired with works? Now remember, just like the tree on the screen, salvation or works is not the root of salvation. Faith is the root of your salvation. Faith is where you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, while salvation is in faith, by faith alone, faith should never be alone. 
Faith, genuine faith, produces the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, works of righteousness. Is your claim to faith partnered with works? Could someone look at your life and say, yes, that Chris England guy, that person definitely has faith in Jesus because it shows up in his lifestyle. Is your faith a genuine belief in the promises of God, or is it more like the demons? Just a mental understanding of who God is without having accepted it by faith. Genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works, and works are necessary because faith is only profitable with works. Genuine faith always produces works, and then the final reason we see in verse 20 through 26, faith is proved by works. In verse 20, James gives a declaration. He says, but wilt thou, O vain man, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Here, James continues to talk to his supposed, you know, imaginary challenger that he's been dialoguing with. He says, will you know? Now, this has the sense of a phrase that's more, do you want evidence? Would you like me to show you? Would you like me to prove to you that faith without works is useless? He addresses him as, oh, vain man. Uh, the, the vain here is the word for foolish. Uh, it's, you'd probably be more familiar with it in, the, in Proverbs, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew. Um, the foolish man. The foolish man in Proverbs, as the foolish man here, is not just a man who lacks understanding, but it's always connected to a moral issue as well. It is hard-hearted stubbornness and ignorance that James is talking about. Oh, vain man. And then he says, faith without works is dead. Would you like me to prove to you, oh, foolish person, foolish fellow, that faith without works is dead? He says, this word, phrase, faith without works was dead, is actually a pretty cool subtle wordplay in the, in the Greek. Um, it's not quite captured in English. I don't know how you could. Um, but the King James misses it a little bit. The word dead is not the same word for dead as was earlier in verse 17. The necros was verse 17. Here it is arga, which I realize you don't care. But the word for works is erga. So it's, do you not realize that faith without erga is arga? Right, there's a word play there. Faith without deads is, faith without works is useless, is the word. It is pointless. There is no use to it. As one commentator says, and see if you can follow this, faith that does not work, James is saying, does not work. So faith that does not work, does not produce works, does not work. It is useless. Faith that doesn't work, does not work. You see that? <laughs> All right. It does no, it, this kind of faith does no good. It is dead. It is useless. Another writer says that workless faith is sterile. Workless faith is useless. It will not produce the hoped for salvation, but is totally without result. The James, to prove his argument, goes to two Old Testament characters. And here's really where a lot of people struggle. Here's where there's 
um, a lot more debate and a lot more to work through. And of course, this would be really cool if we could sit down and work through all the pieces of this. We just don't really have the time tonight. Uh, lots of ink has been spilled on this issue. Let me try to give you the highlights, and hopefully um, that will make sense. And hopefully we can come out understanding James's main point, which I think we're already grasping. But understand how this isn't contradictory to the rest of Scripture. Remember that Scripture interprets Scripture. If it seems to contradict something else, there isn't an actual contradiction. We just need to figure out what uh, was actually happening. So let me jump into this, um, and we can work through it together. First of all, we see Abraham's justification. He says in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? You say, whoa! Was Abraham justified by works? What? I'm pretty sure Abraham was justified by faith. That's what Paul says. All right, so let's look at this. The first issue really comes with the word justification. Or, or to be justified. Abraham was justified. We usually think of justified as the way Paul uses it in the other writings in Ephesians and Romans. Justified being declared righteous at salvation. That's how Paul uses it. That's what we're familiar with. But there's more than one use of the word. Just like we have words that have multiple uses, the same is true here. All right. So th another legitimate application use of this word, which is used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, which is used in other places in the New Testament and even extra biblical writings. Another use of the word justification is the ultimate verdict of innocence pronounced over a person at the last judgment. Whew. That's a lot. Let me, let me sum it up for you. Basically, the use, the way James uses justification is to say that it is the proof of what is already true. Abraham's works proved that his faith was genuine. Was not Abraham our father's faith proven to be genuine, justified by works when he had offered Isaac? having offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. It's always nice to be justified. Sometimes you have a friend and you warn them that, oh, you know, don't go hanging out with that person. It's a bad influence. You'll end up in a bad place, and then they throw rocks off the bridge and go to jail or, you know, get in, have, have run-ins with the law, and you feel justified. I was right. I was proven to be correct in warning you. This is the justified that James is talking about. Abraham was not justified as in granted salvation by works. He was justified as in his faith was proven to be real by his works. It says in verse 22, James says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? That would be to say, do you understand how his faith worked with his works? And by works was faith made purposed? perfect. James here reveals in verse 22 that he's already understood that James, Abraham's faith is what had saved him. He understands that Abraham has faith the whole time, but it's that his faith worked with his works. Notice, faith works. His faith was not merely an intellectual assent. It was not merely a verbal claim. It was an active force, as one writer says, an active force 
constantly working with his deeds. Abraham's faith was made perfect by works, and that it, and then it says this, and by works was faith made perfect. Abraham's faith was made perfect, not in that it achieved salvation, but that it reached its intended goal. The word there is, uh, well, I don't know if you care what the word is, teleos, but it can have this idea of completing or the, the bringing to full maturity or bringing to its intended goal. When he did, and so Abraham's faith was brought to its intended goal when he obeyed what God was asking. God's goal in people receiving salvation is not just to continue living their lives as if it didn't happen. God's goal in giving salvation and people coming to salvation by faith is for them to fulfill the works that he has prepared beforehand for them. Ephesians 2.10. That is God's goal in faith. And so when we do those works he has led he has laid out for us our faith is perfected it's reaching its intended goal and that is where abraham was he had reached the intended goal he had done what god was asking it says as we continue on in verse 23 and the scripture was fulfilled which saith abraham believed god and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of god you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It says the scripture was fulfilled. The word fulfill here means to bring something to its ultimate significance. Abraham's faith in relationship to his righteousness found its ultimate significance. It was fulfilled. It found its ultimate meaning in Abraham's life of obedience. He was justified by faith which was evidenced by what he did. Abraham did not have faith alone. You see, his faith wasn't alone. His faith was partnered with his works. Faith evidenced by action. James repeats in, this, uh, in verse 24, which might be the single most debated verse in the book of James, because it is almost exactly opposite what Paul says. Um, in Romans, James says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Where Paul says, you see that how by faith a man is justified and not by works of the law. And they seem to be exact opposites. Well, we've already talked about how they're using justification differently. But they're also talking about different faith. Because James is talking about a, an empty claim to faith. Faith alone. Faith only, where Paul is talking about genuine saving faith. Salvation is by faith alone, but faith will never be alone. A genuine faith will result in good works. And even Paul would agree to that, as we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And why are you saved? Because the Father has ordained some works for you to do. That's the Chris England standard version. Salvation 
or faith, genuine faith, is always proved by works. It always produces those works. Now, works don't produce salvation. Faith does. But then faith produces works. You see in verse 25, Rahab's justification, and it's very much the same as Abraham. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way? Was she justified by works? Yes, and that she proved her faith was genuine. Now notice, he uses two Old Testament people. There are many people living in the Old Testament who are great examples of faith. But he uses Abraham and Rahab. Who is Abraham? The father of Israel. The, the one that God called and gave all those promises to, the promise for the land, the promise for blessing the world through his seed, uh, for descendants that are greater than the stars. This is Abraham, the, the, the founder, if you will, the father of Israel. And then on the other hand, we have Rahab. Who's Rahab? A virtual nobody, a woman, a Gentile woman who was, had low moral character, kind of, uh, she was a harlot. And yet, what is true about both of them? They both had faith, genuine faith, which was proved by their works. That was true for both of them. No matter if you were the, the greatest man in Israel's history or Rahab, it doesn't, or anyone in between or anyone else, faith is the same way for each person. We see the resolution to the matter in verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. It's just a basic illustration there. Without an immaterial life force animating the body, the body is what? It's a corpse. It's dead. When somebody dies, their material is separated from their immaterial. Their body is separated from their spirit. And they're dead. And in that way, a claim to faith without works is dead. So let's answer the question that James asked at the beginning. Can that faith, a claim to faith without works, can that faith save him? No. The answer that James gives is a resounding no. Like Abraham and Rahab, we must demonstrate our faith by our works. Now, it may, might be as dramatic as Abraham, being asked to sacrifice his son, the son of promise. It might be as dramatic as Rahab, saving the Israelite spies, the Jewish spies. But it might not be. It's not usually that dramatic for us. A lot of times... The way we demonstrate our faith by our works is in the mundane and basic and daily acts of obedience. What has God asked me to do? You know, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, it, in James, the first two chapters of James, we've learned a lot. That's some of it. There's a lot more that we can find in God's word that would tell us his will for us. Genuine faith will produce works that look like what we've read, will look like what God asks us to do in just the mundane, regular, basic acts of obedience. Faith is proved by works. 
So does your do, your works, prove that your faith is genuine? Genuine faith in Christ must be accompanied by works. Now, works are no substitute for genuine faith, but genuine faith will work. Faith with works is profitable, not only for salvation, but for accomplishing God's plans and purposes. Faith cannot be separated from works. They are together. Sometimes because we want to be very clear that you cannot be saved by what you do, we just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, works are out. But what James is reminding us is that works are inextricably connected to faith. To have genuine faith, you will have works. Faith cannot be demonstrated apart from works, for works are the evidence of spiritual life, of a living faith. Now, there, James could be really targeting two different groups of people, or we could really apply this to two groups of people. The first kind of person has genuine faith. Maybe you're here this evening and you are a believer. You have genuine faith. You've trusted in Christ to be saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But you're not living it out. The works that are evidence of your spiritual life are sparse at best. This person must repent. I would urge you to repent, to reconcile with God. Confess your sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin and start living out your faith. Start giving evidence to those around you that your faith is genuine. But there's another person that could be here this evening listening to that message. Someone who does not have genuine faith yet claims it. I'm a Christian, maybe... Maybe you've been a member of the church. Maybe you've been attending church your whole life. And you claim to have faith. But lack of right living reveals the truth that there's a lack of faith in your life. Genuine faith. This person must turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. My prayer is that we as a church, we as individuals, would be people who respond to God's word in a way that evidences that our faith is genuine. That we are not people who are just living a life or living a lie, living a, an empty corpse of faith, but with a living faith that is demonstrated by works. I pray that we would be people who have faith that works. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for James, thank you for the challenge of your word, and thank you for the grace that you give us. None of us is perfect in this area, these areas. We, we all grow and we all struggle with sin, even as believers. And yet you provide grace and you provide mercy to help us in our in infirmities, to lift us up, to forgive us, to, to give us the power, even as we have sung, to overcome sin in our lives. Help us to trust you to demonstrate through our acts of obedience, our acts of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit developed in our lives, that we are people of faith who trust in Christ for our salvation. Thank you for Jesus and his tremendous example in these things. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.